maybe for all the coaches or experts that are considering getting into OKR, I have to tell you that like any change management method, you will face challenges. I don't see or I don't know any implementation that goes so smooth in the sense that, yes, if you are professional, if you have an approach and so on, you can help mitigate, prevent and overcome the resistance. But when there is change, there is resistance, conscious or unconscious. So that, that's just mm. to manage expectations there. Now, of course, there are some organizations where there are less resistance and some where there are more resistance. Welcome to Dreams with Deadlines, a podcast by Quantive. We talk about bringing strategy, teams, and data together to drive better business outcomes. I'm your host, Jenny Harold. When it comes to OKRs, nothing predicts success like patience and flexibility, as my guest on this episode of Dreams with Deadlines has learned on the front lines. Join us as we explore the power of OKRs with Ellie Kasimiana, an entrepreneur, coach, and OKRs evangelist. Here are a few of the things we talked about. Implementing OKRs across different cultures. Prerequisites for sustainable change and the importance of agility and communication. Finally, Ellie shares his best advice for OKR success. Let's jump in. Our guest for today empowers leaders and helps them bring out their full potential in their organizations through hands-on mentoring. He's an entrepreneur, coach, speaker, and an author, obviously a big believer in OKRs. Let's welcome to the podcast, Ellie. Welcome to the show. Hi, Jenny. Thanks for having me today. Glad to be here. Cool. Okay. So we're going to start with the question that I actually love hearing about, which is what is your OKR origin story? Yeah. Happy to tell that story. I actually, I was, my background is in product and strategy in tech companies, and I've been involved in building, launching and managing product lines. And at some point in that journey, I was in charge of strategic planning for a tech company of a thousand people and basically it means getting strategy into action mode, right? This is where I discovered OKR in the sense that I was looking for the best way to get all the teams engaged wherever they are in the organization and geographically because they were spread out in all continents basically without having to do a traditional top-down approach with a long-term planning and then asking everyone to do their tasks. And I discovered OKR, someone together with me implemented it. And I did travel in all continents to train the team around OKR, but also the strategy, defining the strategy with them, translating it into action. And I could see something very powerful in the way they reacted to that, because when they were engaged with the strategy, I could see the people wanting to do more, to contribute more. And it was really empowering for them and for me. That's how I discovered it. And since then, uh, it's been uh, part of my day-to-day, -day, uh, almost, I would say. So it was from word of mouth for you. Yeah, indeed. I think that, of course, there were some publications that made OKR more notorious. But basically, hey, I heard about this method. You should have a look about it, OKR. And then what I did in the beginning is I reached out to various OKR experts and practitioners and I asked them, okay, how does it work? How did it go for you? And that was really the early stage where before, let's say, committing into that and committing the executive team into that, I wanted to understand very well what were the pros and cons. And it came from conversations from people that were in the network or indirect network. 
So if we were to put a timestamp on this, approximately when did this kind of appear on your radar? Yeah, it was around six years ago. Okay, so it's been a while. So you founded, co-founded, and lead multiple organizations or have, Impactives and OKR Mentors. Can you tell us a bit about your organizations? What led you to start them? Yeah, sure. Wanting to contribute to the world. I think that's the common elements for both of them and loving to impulse change. And OKR Mentors is actually a platform to level up OKR education. So it's really about helping organizations and experts be equipped to bring more purpose to the team and help them deliver to their full potential in different ways. So through certifications, through training, through services, and also through programs. And Impactive is a collective of entrepreneurs that accelerate and advise and invest in social and environment entrepreneurs. So the idea here is also to help mission-driven leaders the way to do it is including OKR, but not only adding additional services to help them with business methods, connections through to the networks, partnerships, and so on. So we're talking like green tech, climate tech, and things of that ilk. Yes, indeed. Climate is obviously on, on top of the ranking of the impacts we are looking to do, but it can also be other impacts like social impacts. It can be about inclusivity, about diversity, about poverty, about access to water, biodiversity. So we are looking at impact in the, in the large way to define it. So very much support of the UN's Sustainability Development Goals, the SDGs. Yes, indeed. SDGs would be one, one great way to look at it from a framework standpoint. I love that. So with OKR mentors, since we're talking about OKRs here, how do you facilitate these conversations? Let's say you identify people with the needed skills. You know that you want to connect that with someone out there that is doing basically what you did from scratch. How do you facilitate the conversation? Yeah, so I think it all starts from the expertise. And so... Having had the opportunity to host the OKR Forum International and the OKR Forum Friends, I could connect with a lot of OKR experts that are here for some time, that deliver a specific value. Usually they do OKR plus another competence, maybe transformation, maybe product and tech, maybe strategy, maybe people and culture. And so basically being able to map where the best expertise in OKR. So it starts from there and then find ways to bring that expertise to the organization. And so the first ways, way we found to do it was to solve the challenge of adoption within OKR. So when you implement OKR, usually there is a momentum, everyone is excited to define the OKRs, but then when you want to bring the teams in and so on, it requires to actually explain them why we do it, to explain them how to do it, and to be able to guide them in that process. And so through and with these experts and being able to bring them online, trainings was a first way to do it. Now we are actually delivering more services to, to help this organization, but basically the connection is on one way, top level experts on the other organizations and teams that, that want to deliver to their full potential. So it's really a marketplace play. Very cool. So there are a lot of OKR books out there. You've written one with some co-authors. Can you tell us a bit about your book? Yes, indeed. So it all started when Yuzo and Henry, who are both OKR experts and entrepreneurs in, in Finland, and I connected and we discussed about OKR in the different cafes and cultures. And I was talking about 
Western Europe and more specifically France. And they were coming more with a perspective of Scandinavia, more specifically Finland. And we realized that they are like, it is applied differently in different cultures because actually there are things that are obvious and other not. For example, cultures that are more vertical in the way to manage information and decisions will not need the same type of support and guidance than a culture that is horizontal. And so from there, they told me that they were actually on their way to, to publish a book in Finnish. And I'm like, oh, why not actually tag team together and do one for the French speaking audience? And I'm happy to contribute to the effort you're doing. And we wrote this together and launched it last year. And we added a lot of local case studies from French companies and French speaking companies, whether it's startups, scale-ups or large organizations so that it adds really a local flavor to, okay, how is it implemented? It was very interesting, the process also, because it allowed me to realize even more that all and more and more organizations are implementing OKR in France. So the level of maturity, but that they were not connecting with each other. They were not aware that the other were doing it too. So that was also a nice bridge to connecting that ecosystem too. Tell us a bit more about this difference between the vertical versus horizontal impact to OKR adoption, because this is fascinating. I think most people probably don't think about what the cultural nuances might be. Yeah, I mean, for me, it was very, the cultural differences is a very passionate topic. And I could test it the first time I implemented OKR because there was various headquarters in different regions and various teams, right? And so mm, you want implement it the same way. And I will come back to the vertical and horizontal, but you want him, there are other factors. For example, the level of extraversion, introversion, all these elements are very important. So the way you will manage a workshop to define OKRs is not the same if you do it in a Latin country where people tend to be very outspoken than if you do it in an Asian country where people tend to rather listen to the, the leader or the person in charge rather than share their opinion openly. So you would have to organize workshops in very different way where basically you allow people to be in very small group where they can prepare content and then come and share with everyone instead of doing a, a large workshop with everyone, which you can easily do in more extroverted cultures. In terms of horizontal vertical, I think it comes to the leveraging OKR as a way to stimulate bottom-up and deliver more autonomy to the teams. I think that in horizontal culture, it's much more intuitive in the sense that basically it makes sense and it's then leveraged very intuitively. In more vertical cultures, even if this is consciously agreed, there are a lot of unconscious resistance in the day-to-day -day because the processes of decision-making is happening rather top-down. And so basically if not done mindfully then okr can be leveraged as another way to do top down instead of in impulsing decision or allowing teams to be more autonomous themselves i'm going to ask maybe a controversial question i feel is there a particular organizational style that is more adept to adopting okrs and being more successful or does it not matter yeah, I see various prerequisites to implementing OKR that will be strong drivers of success of extracting full value of the method, right? So there is not one way to implement it. I think it needs to be adapted to each context and the motivation also of why we implement it, which can be either structuring for small scale-ups or startups, which can be aligning for larger organization, which can be engaging for a larger organization, which can be focused for small organizations. So there will be different motivations. And based on that, I guess the, the prerequisite will be different. So I think it can work mostly all organization at the condition that the leadership is on board with 
OKR as a concept, but also with more bottom-up, more transparency, more outcome-driven, more agility in the sense that we don't plan everything in advance, etc. That we have a certain level of agility quarter per quarter, no? Because there are organizations that still love to plan everything three years in advance. So moving away from that, or yeah, that they are able to shake the tree and they are open to shake the tree with, with OKR. So I think this is one prerequisite. Another prerequisite is that they have someone or a group of people, but it can be, depending on the organization, at least one person that is responsible to drive the change. And if this is not the case, then the ball will drop quite quickly. And then another element is, is that team needs to be fully aware and conscious that it will take a few cycles, a certain period to really be smooth. And that in the beginning, like everything, eh, right? if you start to run for a marathon, well, the first time you go running, you will not run the same than after three months or six months. So it's also like being conscious that it will, it will not like next week, oh, boom, we have full value out of it, that it will take some time. Another element is also that, that the level of, of engagement of the teams that they are looking for and that they have a plan and an approach to, to engage and that they don't freestyle with how they implement OKR. And I think that's an important one. Yeah, it's important to be open to and flexible and listen and create iterations. But there needs to be a certain level of anticipation of, okay, that's the context, that's the nature of our organization, that should be our approach to implementing it so that basically we avoid confusion of the teams because that's what, of course, would create then more resistance than positive outcomes. Absolutely. So based on your experience and also having worked with so many OKR coaches over the years, what do you think are the most common misconceptions about the OKR method? Very often when we start conversation with organizations that have heard about OKR or are considering OKR, they say, yeah, but I already have objectives. So I've always done that. And I guess that's, although OKR is three letters and one of them is objective, I think that what the method embodies is a lot of tangible and intangible benefits that go beyond the fact of an objective is how you interact with them on a day-to-day, -day, is the culture to actually execute upon these objectives and the main benefits that that within the OKR world we we can already testify around basically stimulate to be more outcome driven reinforce alignment create a day-to-day -day learning culture around how to execute on your strategy making strategy a day-to-day -to -day topic so all these operational elements things that would often be undermined for someone who discover OKR so that's a misconception Another one is about the indicators where they would often say, oh, but we already have KPIs. What's this thing about this KR thing and key result? And in the end, it's very much common sense to have metrics and indicators. I think the challenge is once you, when, once you have 30, 40 indicators that you need to look at every day, you look at none. And that is the challenge in the organization face with their operating model is, okay, I have a dashboard where I have 40 things to watch and talk about, and I never have the time to do that. So in the end, I, and so the idea, I think that we need to help organization understand is you have your indicators that help you understand if your business is healthy or not. And then you have a certain type of indicators, which you can call key results or not which actually are the indicators that extract the essence from the noise that really are the essence of what you want to do are the biggest priorities and that help you measure a movement in your organization from a point A to a point B. So there is a movement of transformation. It's where you put the weight of your body. And so if your organization asks you, okay, among these 14 indicators, where is it that we want to make most impact? 
what would be your answer? And this is where basically the key result will be one. So often that's an area also where we need to, where a lot of education is needed in the beginning. Another misconception is, and I think we all feel it, and even in the beginning when you start with OKR, even if you integrate it consciously, it's, it's hard to practice, is to move from output to outcome. And I think a misconception is, oh, okay, I will be able to do a to-do list below my objectives and I will be good to go. And that's what they believe can be OKR. And it undermines indeed the idea that, hey, we want to move out from thinking and discussing about what output needs to be happening. Yes, of course, we need to, to work, to be in action, to move. Things need to happen, just to maybe define what I mean by output. but. It's to move the discussion towards outcome, meaning what is it that I want to achieve? Where do we want to be in the future? And so how do we measure that? And I guess uh, here the idea is to move away from to-do list and rather to how is our objective progressing? How can we measure this progress? And then from there discuss the actions and so on. And so often there is this misconception that actually we should leverage OKR for to-do list. I guess these are the main misconceptions then you would have probably uh, many others if we ask different experts, but these are the mains I, I find. It sounds like you're, you've been quite a champion for the OKR movement, if you will. There are a lot of folks that suggest that they can be applied to everything, but you sound very pragmatic. Who, in your opinion, shouldn't use OKRs? If I come back on the prerequisite I mentioned before, well, all organizations that don't meet this prerequisite, which are how is the leadership on board with the philosophical aspect of underlying OKR around transparency, learning culture, outcome-driven, etc., or who want it to happen without necessarily having someone to drive it and so on, I think should definitely not implement it. I think organizations that want to keep working primarily top-down and don't want to empower their teams to work more in autonomous manner, I think would face challenges with implementing the method. I think in the end is I think also an organization that don't want to transform doesn't need it in the sense that OKR is to transform from a point A to a point B. If you're just having a business as usual and that you're just about operating a certain business activity, then you might not need to actually transform. And so in that sense, um, it might not be needed. So these are the things that comes in mind when it comes to not implementing it. I think in general, society demands more purpose People demand more purpose. The nature of the market now that are moving faster and are more and more innovative require organization to learn continuously and to adapt continuously. So all these trends make that more and more organization fall into that scope where OKR can deliver value, which might not have been the case 30 years ago. And so that's why the method was launched 50 years ago or maybe, yeah, 68. But, but actually now is really becoming mainstream. It's because there are clear market trends that actually make the OKR more relevant than ever. So you're suggesting it's two things. The first is culture, right? If your underlying culture cannot stomach supporting OKRs in its, in its essence, as you put it. And the second is need. But you challenge this idea that perhaps more organizations need it more than ever simply because of the pace of change and what we're seeing happen in the market in terms of our consumers as well as employees and really wanting to find purpose. Yeah, specifically after the, uh, the all the months that we've spent closed between four walls, a lot of people started to ask 
and to demand for themselves more purpose in what they do. And so that, that's become even more relevant indeed. I recently read an article from the MIT Sloan Management Review saying that on average, economists put, let's say, a chance of recession in 2023 to be about 63%. A lot of leaders are expecting the worst. We're seeing mass layoffs across the tech industry, which you've spent like a good portion of your time working. Um, how can organizations prepare for difficulties like this using an OKR framework? Thanks for asking this one. It's it's one that I investigated actually in, in the book we've written. And also I had the opportunity, unfortunately, to face it with my customers. It's like, okay, we have a crisis. So for example, I had a customer that was in the hospitality sector, travel, and the COVID happened, right? So suddenly all their plans, which were tr translated into OKRs, became irrelevant or become obsolete just by the, the simple nature of the crisis, right? And this was one that was applicable for hospitality, but of course for many other industries. And of course, recession now also hit a certain number of ecosystems. So what happened first? What happened is that the OKRs become irrelevant suddenly, or part of the OKRs become irrelevant. And so the question is, what do we do about it? We need to enter into crisis mode. So either we just drop it and we just basically extinguish fires and try to put water everywhere we can so that we save what can be saved or, or we turn around the way we can turn around. I think that the ability of an organization to be successful in a crisis is the ability to keep calm and focus in decision-making and execution, which of course is easier to say than to do. But a way to do that is to rationalize the way you execute. What often happens when there is a crisis is people panic. And when you panic, then you don't do the right decision, you don't execute well. So how can you move away from that state and move into a more rationalized decision and action making? There you can also leverage OKR. So the recommendation that, that we do and that we apply is that you have a crisis, then assess among your strategic goals, among your priorities, what are the ones that are still relevant and what are the ones that are made irrelevant. Then based on the new external context or internal context, that can be internal crisis, then reassess what are your new priorities. And so in that case, what it would in practice do is if it's happened in the middle of a OKR cycle, maybe quarter or a year, that you feel that you're able to bind the rules where the idea is to wait the next cycle to define OKR and you say, okay, this, these OKRs are not relevant anymore. Let's sit down and think about what is our focus and what should be our focus and leverage OKR for that. And so OKR provide focus, provide alignment, provide structure, and in a crisis, we need it more than ever. It can really help to simply sit down and redefine OKR and then leverage them to, to focus execution of the team and bring everyone behind the same, the same purpose also in this period. What I'm hearing too, which I think is implicit in what you're describing, is this concept of recovery, right? Because there are things that might be unrecoverable. And there might be things that should be recovered or continue to be pursued. I think that all absolutely makes sense. What you're purport, like, is proposing is a greater level of agility. I've heard this. You probably have to apply to strategy execution, right? It's like imagining that your plan will never, ever go off the rails and that everything that you think should happen will happen is a fallacy. If we're in Europe, the geopolitical crisis that we're seeing across 
the various member states is disrupting a lot of things. Supply chains are getting messed up. Like the things that we think will hold the banks. <laughs> I feel like the new normal is there is no new normal anymore. So that makes sense. Of course, OKR is a mean, not an end. So the idea is not to wait for a crisis to define your OKRs. I think, <laughs> let's say that the idea is indeed to say, okay, how and if OKR can help me in the situation I'm facing right now, I guess that's the way I was addressing the question and maybe indeed see challenges as an opportunity. So of course there are like dramatic or drastical crises that you cannot overcome and you can make as many OKRs as you want, you want to overcome it. And we can see the case of some banks going down and well, there is not much that can be addressed there. I'm, I guess I'm referring more to the ones that see a structural change in the market or some things they need to address and they are trying to find the best way out of it. And for example, I will give you a couple of examples. This hospitality, which basically was doubling revenues year after year and had very ambitious plans in 2020, changed their, their OKRs and their focus towards actually reducing churn. So how can we keep as much customer and how can we maximize the revenues of our customers, which were basically hotels, guest house and houses. So they, they really try to focus towards the customer needs to see if we help them maintain certain level of revenue, then we will be able to keep them satisfied with our professional relationship. And so basically they had this period where, of course, there was not a lot of people starting hotels, guest house, and new customer business was going down. And so they put that objective a bit out of the top priority and focused on the churn. And now the crisis is passed and basically they solidify the organization, they solidify their processes, they optimize, they are much more lean and they are able to take full advantage. They adjusted their business model. And now they are at the pass where they actually more than double year on year. So it's very impressive what they are doing and it's going very well for them. So basically they, they stand strong during that period and that was very fruitful. And there is another example of an organization that were, was actually facing a, a challenge in their industry. So it was a crisis specific to their industry. And basically there were competitors coming with a total different business models. And that was jeopardizing a lot what they were doing because it seemed much, much better in terms of value for money. And they had to reinvent their value proposition. And this was an opportunity for them to actually experiment, interact with their audiences, better understand what are their needs. And through OKRs actually measure the success of the traction they would get onto these new value propositions until one actually hits and they are able to put full focus on it. We're going to take a short break. You are listening to Dreams with Deadlines, the podcast that brings you real stories of trials and victories in business, brought to you by Quantive. Quantive is a strategy execution platform that helps organizations create greater strategic agility and excel at execution. With more than 2,000 customers, Quantive helps companies close the gap between strategy and execution to achieve their best possible. And now, back to the show. Do you have a favorite success story or a case study of one of your clients? Curious to hear one that you're particularly proud of, maybe fond of? I know you've discussed a few already. There are several in the sense that each implementation has its own flavor, but I guess I can tell two. I can tell one success story with a customer implementation, so implementing a strategic, the strategy, 
and another with an expert or actually a consulting that wanted to get into OKR. So on the first one, it's actually a recent case. It's a marketplace called We Can Do in France. And so basically they are allowing consumers, you, me, or companies to do craft work. And in some way, their mission is to allow people that work out of craft and art to to make a living and they do that by basically packaging workshops and so on so i really like the mission i find it very empowering and it also brings more creativity in people's life and i think that creativity is beneficial for many reasons and basically they already had okr implemented and um, they are accelerating significantly so they are growing geographically and also it's a scale up so they are they're growing quite aggressively and they were looking for, okay, how can we further improve, fine tune the way we leverage OKR to embark our teams, to align them, to make them actors of the strategy. And basically we've been working together where I was supporting more as a strategic coach, working with someone that drives the change internally and helping them implement the right routines and so on. And so I'm very happy to see them now being very successful on their markets and seeing the teams more and more proactive when it comes to offering solutions and so on. So that's a nice case to, to see it happening live. And I like it specifically also because of, of the mission of the organization, which I like. Another case um, is actually a consulting team that was specialized and is specialized in transformation strategy and culture. And they realized OKR okay, could be a great tool for them, but they did not know too much. Okay, how does it work? They didn't feel empowered, let's say, to train organizations with OKR and implement OKRs with organizations, which is good because a lot of experts that actually don't have the skills or know-how do it, and they, while they train the organization, which I would not advise. But so this specific team actually they reached out to OKR mentors to to get support to to get up to speed with OKR, and so we did a six months program where. Basically, first they, they got training, then we help them integrate OKR in their value proposition. So basically, how does it make sense in your current context and considering your expertise? How can you build something that is unique and complement the existing ecosystem? And then we help them define the packaging, the pricing and so on. And then after a month and a half, two months, they were able to go out and talk to customers and so on. And uh, we quickly found actually a customer on which they are collaborating with other OKR mentors, experts, and uh, actually it allowed them to, to uh, reach, I think, 30% of their key, of one of their key results in terms of revenues for the year. So it was, and I think for return investment for them, it's in terms of financials, I think it's something like uh, 50 plus, so 50, 50 multiplied by 50, what they invested and what they got out. So that's a very nice case also because it shows that the ecosystem is growing, is maturing, people want to get in and there is a lot we can do together. And so being able to be that platform where we can help experts um, get to the level of maturity where they can really feel confident and support effectively the organization is also very empowering for me. Maybe conversely, we can talk about a challenging client that you've had where you're like, I don't know how we're going to do this. And it ended up being a 180. It turned around. Do you have one of those to share? Maybe for all the coaches or experts that 
are considering getting into OKR, I have to tell you that like any change management method, you will face challenges. I don't see or I don't know any implementation that goes so smooth in the sense that, yes, if you are professional, if you have an approach and so on, you can help mitigate, prevent and overcome the resistance. But when there is change, there is resistance, conscious or unconscious. So that's just to manage expectations there. Now, of course, there are some organizations where there are less resistance and some where there are more resistance. Yeah. So let's try to find a case where there was a bit more resistance. I think for me, it comes regularly with large organizations in traditional industries. Why? Because the culture is there for many years. People are working there for many years. Sometimes they lost passion in what they are doing. Very often they lost passion in what they are doing. And even when you come to them with a story that, hey, that's the mission. This is what we are going to do. Let's go together. You have your voice now. You can contribute and so on. They're like, I don't necessarily want my voice to be heard. I'm here to, to just do my tasks and that's it. And just tell me, yeah, well, exactly. So there is a challenge for leaders. And they, 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 they wish OKR can come as a magic wand and say, okay, when I, once I will talk about OKR, then everyone will be so excited about the mission because the leaders hopefully are passionate about what they are doing, right? So they want to transfer, transmit, and embark everyone into that passion. And and sometimes it proves challenging that part of adopt. So yes, I I mean that that's I think the case of and I won't mention the name, but a large organization, traditional industry that actually started with OKR, and then we are wondering, okay, the teams don't necessarily care too much about you bringing this world okay thing so how do you get them excited about it and so we had to um so the good thing is that if you implement the right routines then you have a retrospective so you're able to assess where you are in regards to the implementation you're you can say, okay, the C-level is well engaged. We do the rituals well, but the teams are not properly engaged yet. How do we address it? Okay, what are the challenges we face? How can we overcome them? So you can approach it in a rational way and address it. And this is what we, of course, did. And so here it was a lot about spending more time explaining them the why of, of the strategy of the change. Yes. So really putting them in a position where they can empathize with what is in it for me as a team member, as a team manager, as a team to be part of this. And so it takes some time. It took some training. That's also how the certifications were really valued and what, let's say, motivated me to even develop it further because I saw that adoption was one of the key topics and that one way to really push adoption is through the proper training. I think for a lot of businesses that probably will resonate and I've heard someone describe before in organizations that are very much institutionalized, it's very easy to fall into the trap of a lot of people apply this concept to other things like OKR theater, where it's like, hey, we're doing the practices, but it hasn't really taken root. But what you're saying is these things take time. It takes a lot of leadership kind of sponsorship and communication, effective communication, repetitive, effective communication. And it's funny too, because I think I hear lots of leaders say, but I already said it. Why do I have to say it again? <laughs> Wasn't anyone listening to me? And the answer is until you have someone respond back to you, the very things that you've been saying, or they get really bored and they're like, yeah, I've heard you say that before and they can recite it back to you. It hasn't really sunk in. So keep talking. Yeah, indeed, totally. And I, I totally concur with you. I think I've seen the statistics that says that 
and it was from 2000, between 2016 and 2019, so it's not fresh and I don't know what would be the figure now, but say that basically two out of three managers are not able to tell the strategic priorities of their companies. So it starts there. Indeed, on the other side, you have the leaders that say, I'm tired to repeat it all the time. I already tell it last month. I'm like, but you should tell it every day. It's a daily thing. And I think that's indeed where leaderships need to and has an opportunity to play a strong and important role is in, in being the mission, being the strategy in everything they say, they do, and so on. So walk the talk and not just expect that sharing a slide once a month will uh, make people embark into the mission. They need to really be that, that voice and that, let's say, tangible representative of the mission and the strategy. I think you're absolutely right on. I think a lot of folks probably have read who listen to this podcast, Patty McCord's book about how culture is done in at Netflix at the time that she held her post. And she would say, if a leader walked into the hallway when people were still working in the offices and asked, what are our priorities right now as an organization? If that employee was not able to respond, it was indicative of whether or not leadership, the management rung, was effective in communicating the strategic priorities for the business. The failure was not on the employee necessarily. It was on the leadership team. And she said that was very indicative of what kind of culture you're establishing in terms of its ability to execute effectively due to alignment. So right on. Yeah, totally. That's not the responsibility of the employee. That's the responsibility of the leader in the end. Absolutely. Absolutely. So I know you're a fan of customer centricity. You have to be because you've spent so much time in tech, like companies that are successful in technology really get to know their customer. I came to find out that this term is not necessarily new, although we see it all over the place now on social media, especially among product teams. It actually was first coined, I think, in the 1960s. But the idea is to strategically align a company's products and services to the wants and needs of the people that they serve, their most valuable customers. I saw, too, some statistics that I thought was re were really interesting, that companies that report to have a very mature level of customer centricity experience 2.5x, perhaps more even, revenue growth compared to those reporting that they were very immature. How would you say OKRs help with this concept of customer centricity, because we're hearing this more and more. For example, Microsoft now has partnered with OpenAI. We know this. Satya has taken a massive organization and foundationally changed their culture to be very customer obsessed. They use OKRs. I know because I used to work there. How do OKRs help with this and fostering this? By the way, I love the figure you say. I didn't, I wasn't aware of this figure of 2.5. I'm not surprised at all. I can see the difference when working with different type of organizations. The ones that do listen, understand, and address their customers, their audience needs, are the ones that eventually prevail. So I can totally concur. That's indeed the picture, but then the practice is like, how do I do it on a day-to-day, -day, right? So for example, in the agile methodology, they would start the sentence to brief the tech team by as a user, right? And you need to specify which user, as a user, I want to do that. So that, of course, the words have power and the way you organize words and language has power. And so in, in that sense, that would help the tech to understand, okay, that's for this audience and that's what they want and so on. I think OKR provides that same opportunity at a strategic level. 
So instead of saying, okay, we want to sell more, we want to do this, we want to do that, and it's about us doing things, OKR provides a framework that allows you to think, what is the value we want to deliver? To whom? When you would define objectives and when you would define key results, the opportunity that the teams have here is, okay, we want to reach that objective, for example, uh, be a leader in a certain geographic market or is the the loyalty of our customers and then the idea is how do i measure that and not measure it based on the efforts you do which are more input or potentially output but more on the outcome and the more you go towards the outcome the more you talk about the value you deliver for the audience for the stakeholder which can be a customer which can be an employee which can be different partners so there can be various customers but the idea is to move towards your audience. So what's the effect of the efforts that we do? What is the effects we want to have? And so instead of doing a to-do list of the things we're going to do, we're going to do a measurement of this effect we are trying to, to build and deliver towards our audience. So that, that's, I think, the very structural way that OKR can help be customer-centric. I think then... From that same kind of line of reasoning, one can say that about employee centricity as well, where we're seeing employee engagement be a very important part of people operations or HR, focusing on not only being a strategic partner to the C-suite so that the organization can deliver strategic value, because that's why you hire people, but also in terms of continual investment so that you have a culture that is going to be highly performant. And so having that same idea that you put where you're not only thinking about the processes that you have in place, the to-do list that you have to do, probably the governance that's required you're thinking about, but our end customer is our employee. And I think that's interesting because a lot of teams might not think, I don't have a customer. You do. They just may be internal. And that's a very important thing to consider as well, I think, which is what you're alluding to. Yeah. Cool. Okay. So I've got some quick fire questions for you if you are ready. All right. Let's go for it. First question is the same question I ask everyone. What is your dream with the deadline, Ellie? I would like mission-driven leaders to be mainstream, meaning that I would like people who take leadership to be people who want to change the world for the better. Two, why are you so passionate about OKRs? Because it helped people on a mission to actually make it real. And so that, that's a great simple framework to, to make vision into action and reality. People like to learn from failure. What would you say is your kind of greatest strategic execution fail? And what did you learn? Before discovering OKR, I, I must confess I implemented or I tried to implement the strategy in a traditional way, meaning defining a plan and pushing towards the team and so on. And I guess I learned from there that things are always more empowering for people when they are actually part of the decision and definition of it. That's a good one. What do you think is the future of OKRs? I think OKR is a mean, not an end. I think OKR serves a purpose. This purpose is to help organizations and teams deliver to their full potential. It will grow into integrating more and more with other framework and tools that support organizations into executing. And so I think the more it will grow and become mainstream, the more it will integrate with other execution frameworks and so on. So that's on one hand. And on the other hand, I think that it will become more and more there for people up to the point that we don't mention it anymore, I hope, meaning that 
I think OKR is successful when you don't have to mention it. <laughs> what advice would you have given to your earlier self about the OKR practice? I think my earlier self, I mean, it depends how early we go, but I think my earlier self was not too worried about OKR. But if I look at when I started OKR, what I could tell him now is to, to be well surrounded. Okay, that's really good advice. And last question, Ellie. What would you say is the book that largely shaped how you think? I don't have a fire answer to that fire question. I guess that this is a mix of books. I could not give you one answer, but in general, what brought me where I am now is listening to inspiring leaders and entrepreneurs. So whether it's books, biographies, or podcasts, it's always been inspiring to, to see people basically take the initiative to, to drive change and and be resilient to overcome all the obstacles that come their way and i think that when you listen to other people's story about what it takes to basically make change happen and successful then you are in a place where you feel much more confident about your ability and you feel much more empowered too because others are doing it so you can do it too so i will revisit this question what is a book or a podcast that's really impacting you right now yeah i love how i build this by giras very cool. Bye. And you will have a lot of entrepreneurship stories there to be a very practical. Thanks, Jenny, for bringing me back to the questions. <laughs> <laughs> no problem. Well, it's been a pleasure having you on the show, Ellie. You have so much experience. Where can they find you? You can find me on, on LinkedIn, of course, Ellie Kazamijana. You can also reach out through the website, okmentors.com. And if you're in Europe sometime, in Barcelona or in Brussels or in Paris, I might be around as well. Don't hesitate to ping me if you want to talk all things OKR. What a charmed life you live, Ellie. <laughs> <laughs> Very cool. Thanks so much. Thank you, Jenny. If you enjoyed this podcast, then we invite you to join the Dreams with Deadlines community. Dreams with Deadlines is a global network of ambitious business leaders and innovators who are passionate about using OKRs and agile practices to build high-performing cultures, achieve bold goals, and influence our world for the better. Learn more and join us at dwd.community.